In our last episode, we talked about double session days, how to fuel and recover when you've got two sessions happening in the same day. For most athletes, that will be at the start of the day before work and, of course, then after work in the evenings. So today, we're going to speak to someone who has lived that life for quite a period of time with double session days, six days a week for years on end. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Alan McCubbin. And I'm Steph Gaskell. We're both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne. Combined have over 30 years working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each episode, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask. Sort of stuff that people are debating out on their run or ride in the coffee shop afterwards or jumping online to find answers for. So we'll take that question, break it down and inviting a guest expert or athlete or coach to add their perspective as well. Today it is episode 67B, How Do I Fuel Double Session Days? with our special guest, triathlete Jenny Zenka. Before we get to Jenny though, Steph, how are you going this week? You almost moved house finally after all the dramas of the last month or so. Yeah, exactly right. Yep. So looking forward to that. Hopefully get the keys today. Woohoo! Mm. And um, yeah, no longer have to annoy, you know, Isabel Martinez, who is doing her PhD at the moment on gut training. So a shout out to her for putting up with, with us. Yeah. So just looking forward to that hour. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And busy time with the uni finalising results, but then also we're running a, a course for sports dietitians over the next couple of days. So lots lots happening. And speaking on lots happening, a lot of things to announce. Steph, it's uh, probably one of the biggest announcements we've ever made on the podcast, if not the biggest, I suspect. Mm, yeah, yeah. So um, I'll let you make that announcement. You've been working hard behind the scenes to make it all happen. Yep. Yep, and so it's not the ebook, but we will get to that in just a minute. But this is actually our last episode of the Long Munch. Don't say that now. Now people are like they just had a heart attack. <laughs> no, we're not leaving. The podcast name is changing. That's what's happening. So Phew. from next episode, we'll be known as Fueling Endurance. Now this is something that we've been talking about for well over a year now, Steph. You know, we probably came up with the, the Long Munch name very early on. Didn't really love it but didn't really have other particularly fancy ideas at the time and I think over time we've just realized that obviously for new people finding the podcast it's not the the most obvious name when you look at it and to actually know what the podcast is about so we've decided to make that change to something that's a bit clearer uh, for the new listener for the podcast so yes we'll we'll be known as fueling endurance from next week and so we're going to make some changes obviously social media handles and things like that will have to change so we'll get that done uh if you're wondering fueling can be spelt two different ways depending on where you live in the world we're going with the 1l variant which is technically the american variant but the reason we went with that is because when we went to register the domain name fueling endurance with two l's was already taken so we're fueling endurance with one l.com is the new website that's already up and running and if you go to the old um, address the longmunch.com, it'll automatically forward you on to fuelingendurance.com. So, all of our podcast titles, website, 
social media handles and things will just progressively change over to that over the next couple of weeks in time for our next episode, which will be coming up in two weeks' time. So, yeah, big changes, Steph. Big changes, big changes. And, yeah, if people forget, don't despair because, yeah, if you're still using the long munch, then it'll just take you to the other handle, I believe, our. Yeah, Um, yeah. So if you already follow us on social media, nothing will change. If you subscribe to the podcast, nothing will change. hmm. Yeah, it won't cancel the subscription or anything like that, or at least it shouldn't as far as I'm aware. So, yeah, you, you should be fine from that perspective. Mm, yep. And it's fuelingendurance.com, not fuelingendurance with one L.com. Yes. <laughs> Just in case anyone's. Yes. <laughs> um, there's always one, Steph. There's always one. You never know. Mm, yep. And how how's it going on the ebook front now? We might have to bring back the don't get me started rant part of the podcast, Steph, but we're just about there. So uh, all the formatting is finished. I've now just got to do the final bit of getting it into the version that's ready to, to put online. So we're, we're looking at the moment to, to sell that through Amazon. So you'll be able to get that for Kindle. There is a bit of a process with that. So we've just got to figure that out. So we'd hope to have it ready for Friday, for Black Friday. Mm-hmm. I think it's now going to probably shift to Cyber Monday, given that we're running a course for the next two days. But I think we should get there. So, yeah, we're still figuring out the the actual final logistics of that in terms of whether it'll just be available through Amazon, whether you'll also be able to buy it just as a PDF through the website, feelingendurance.com as well. But we'll have that information for you on social media probably within the next few days from the time you listen to this. Or if you have signed up for email notifications about that, which we mentioned last week, then you'll certainly get notified as soon as that's available for purchase. So if you do want to be notified as soon as it is available, if you go to fuelingendurance.com with 1L, then you can sign up there and we'll, we'll send you an email when it's all ready to go, which will be, as I said, probably Cyber Monday. We haven't really talked a lot about what's in it. Mm. So... Yeah, it is covering the first two years of the podcast, and actually we're just about to celebrate the third anniversary of the podcast in our next episode, so we'll talk about that at the end. But yeah, there's actually 49 different questions answered in this ebook. We had no idea when we sat down to write it how long that would make it. It's actually, I think, about 260 pages in the end of content. Basically, every every question that we covered in that first two years of the podcast is in the ebook as a, a standalone article like an article you might read online, but they're put together into this book. Each of those has a whole bunch of information in there. Depending on what the question is, it might have some practical tips, suggestions. I think there might even be a couple of recipes in there off the top of my head. There's some quotes from some of the guests that we've had on the podcast, both experts, but also the athlete experience as well, and and some coaches along the way. So heaps of information in there, stories, anecdotes, quotes, recipes, tips, uh, and some explanations of the the scientific aspects of it as well yep some really good troubleshooting flow charts that you've done out out that I know our listeners always love and I love looking at when you you know especially like one of the questions why do I get cramping you've got a nice some nice figures in there you know why do I get gut problems so there's some tips there to help our listeners try and start to to look at that and work that out yep yeah. Um, yep. And there's a little bonus in there, and you don't even know about this, Steph, yet because I've just started to put this in there, but there will be a little bonus in the book. So when you when you get a copy of it, there'll be a QR code where you can scan it and you'll actually get a, a series of videos around some of these 
topics that do require a little bit more explanation and where video is probably a better medium to go through that. So those flowcharts that Steph just mentioned, they'll be turned into short videos. And for those who purchase the book, you'll get access to those as a bit of a bonus. So there'll be more information about that in the book. And we'll talk about that a bit more in the next episode as well. Awesome. That sounds good. Nice Mm. add-on. And so our today's guest, who do we have? Yeah, our guest today is Jenny Zenka. So Jenny is an elite age group triathlete. She's finished twice second in the 70.3 Ironman World Championships. So that's the half Ironman for those not familiar with the kind of triathlon lingo. But this year she made the switch to the full Ironman distance and qualified for her first World Championships in Kona, where she finished fifth in her age group actually on in her first Ironman World Championship. So that's a, a massive effort for, for first year at that distance. But Jenny's not a stranger to double session days at all, both training for 70.3 and Ironman. She's been doing that for, for years now, literally. And she does juggle also a very busy career. She's the head of a, a big scientific research group at Monash University where, where Steph and I both work as well. And she has to juggle training around a very busy career. So we really wanted to sit down and have a chat to her about that and how she manages that from a practical perspective, how she thinks through and and plans out her nutrition around those double session days and and how that all fits into the the realities of of work and life as well. Awesome. Let's let's get stuck into it and get some motivation from from Jenny, maybe about our waking up times and our um, preparation skills. Absolutely. Okay, Jenny Zenka, welcome to the podcast. How are you going there? I was going to say over at Monash Uni, we're all at, well, I'm working from home, but you're at, at the uni today. How are you going? Yeah, thanks, Ellen and Steph, uh, for having me. I'm, I'm doing very well. Awesome. Cool. Now, you've been a competitive triathlete for several years now, but I'm curious because I sort of came across you probably halfway through that journey, really. So where did it all kind of begin for you in, in triathlon? It all started with triathlon in 2003, so it's already now 20 years ago, which is quite crazy to think about, right? It's (laughs) But yeah, at the time I was a competitive swimmer, what I was doing there at that time. And um, yeah, I reached the age where I became a bit too old for swimming. There were not really any possibilities or platform to grow anymore in that sport. And at the same time, I started my studies at the university, so I moved away from home. I joined a new swim club, but at the same time, I actually also joined the swim group at the university. I mean, I, I still really loved swimming. I didn't want to give it up at all, even though it was a little bit yeah, lacking some excitement. So I joined that swim group at the university, I and mean, I went there for the first time. It was actually, there were no students really swimming. And instead, it was a group of mostly former students and some other adults that were triathletes. And so, yeah, they kind of, you can say, adopted me. It was really a fun time. So I started really coaching them in swimming. I mean, I'm also a trained swim coach, so I helped them a little bit with swimming, writing the session. And yeah, they kept asking me, when do I come for a run with them? And they were quite persistent. I mean, it took them, I think, several weeks um, asking me. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm interested, but I still have to do that swim competition or always something else. 
but one day, yeah, I, I did the first run session with them. And I think from then onwards, it's, it's history. I never stopped again running and added um, cycling on and did my first race. Yeah, awesome. Because I guess, I guess maybe it's a generalization, but I think uh, the majority of triathletes probably come from either a running or a cycling background into triathlon. And you talk to them and they hate the swimming part of it. It's like, oh, I've got to do the swimming. Whereas you're, you're the opposite. Definitely the opposite. Yeah, the swim yeah. still nowadays is the easiest for me. It's the run really where it's for me really the difficult leg out of the three. I mean, I also still have the power really pushing through the bike. Yeah, quite the opposite of many other athletes. Athletes. Yeah. 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 Okay. And people can obviously tell from your accent that you weren't born here in Australia. So, do you want to tell us where you grew up and and I guess how you did end up here as well? Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone can hear it immediately when I talk to someone. Oh, you're not from here. Mm. Uh, no, indeed. I, I I, mean, I grew up in Germany. <laughs> and yes, you might know in Germany, the winters, they can get pretty cold. And as a triathlete, we like a warm climate where we can really do our outdoor sports. So, yeah, since I uh, started a triathlon always during the Christmas New Year periods, I always try to escape the winter and uh, fly somewhere where it was a bit warmer. 2009-2010, that Christmas New Year period, I had the chance to fly to Perth doing their training camp for almost three weeks. And I literally arrived there and I just loved it. I don't know. It was just, I felt at home. It was the place where I really thought if I will ever get a chance, like finding a job or so in Australia, that's what I'm going to do. I mean, in that moment, I didn't think it would be possible. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Then uh, just a couple of years later, I was at a moment where I had graduated from my PhD. So it was a transition time where I was looking for a new position, new job. And I did what I was thinking all the time. I looked specifically for jobs in Australia. I anyway wanted to go definitely to an English-speaking country to improve my English. I mean, the accent is still there. <laughs> but yeah, and it turned out perfectly. So there was a really awesome job. And I really wanted to do my postdoc there. I applied for it and I got the job. So a few weeks later, I arrived here with, a, with one suitcase with a little bit of clothes and a bike and that's it so I arrived in a completely new world here in the middle of the dark I still remember everything I, I didn't know anyone I had no idea where I am but I definitely had my bike with me and yeah it really felt really great here settled down here felt at home less than two years later I was kind of forced to leave again, which was really a little bit out of my, I mean, at the end, it was my decision. But despite feeling here really at home, and I told myself, I don't want to move away. I mean, I made the decision then actually to move for three years to Singapore. But yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful that I got then a second possibility, literally to come back, move again a second time here to Melbourne, which is now five years ago. And yeah, since then, I'm here in Melbourne. Mm, awesome. And did you find, you know, as you said, you you, know, you kind of just arrived with your bike and your, your clothes and, and not a lot else. Did you find, you know, having the bike and triathlon really helped you kind of settle in as you got to train with other people and, and meet people along the way? 100%. That was what really allowed me to settle down here to feel well. I mean, the 
bike, not only for the training, but also just have the freedom and mobility and so on to go wherever I want. I mean, it's, yeah, literally the second day I then immediately contacted a squad with the squad I'm still with, Melbourne Triathlon Club, to join the swim session there early in the morning. Having that squad immediately from the first day literally on, which really gave me like a surrounding of uh, people where they were really like-minded, super supportive, helped me in any regards, not only sport. And I still call them nowadays my family here. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Now, in in terms of your triathlon, I know most of your racing to date has been in 70.3, so the, kind of that half Ironman distance. But I know you made the kind of the step up to, to Ironman this year in particular, and that was a real focus for you. And obviously, you'd had quite a lot of success in the 70.3 distance. I think you'd finished twice second place at, at World Championships in in that distance. So what made you decide to to go to Ironman this year? different factors really coming together but there was definitely then one specific event that happened where I kind of maybe a little bit out of frustration signed up for Ironman race and that was um, last year the 70.3 world championships in St. George where I was really well prepared for that race and I, I thought I was really in a great shape to deliver maybe one of my best races there so I had really like some yeah, expectations from myself. Everyone expected a really hot race and until two days before the race, it was really hot. But the day before a really cold front came in and St. George is kind of desert. So it really like a drastic change from 30 degrees to four degrees. Wow. So it was really drastic. And then, yeah, I mean, the next day was the race and then I was literally first wave after the professional one. So I had to be there very early morning, like 5 a.m. or so, two hours before my race start. And it was four degrees and there was no shelter. You had to stand at four degrees for two hours before the race of the World Championships. I've never been so frozen. Yeah, I got through the swim, but, you know, then wet onto the bike at four degrees. I never suffered so badly. I honestly can't remember how I made it through that bike. I even cannot remember really the course anymore. So yeah, I made it. The run was really good. I warmed up during the run, so I had a really good run, but the race was over for me. And Mm. this was just so frustrating for me. So on the same day, I was sitting in a hotel room and I signed up for, yeah, Ironman South Africa. I needed a new challenge. I needed a change. And anyway, the time before I developed that wish or so maybe to give it a try. So it was the moment where I pressed the button and signed up for Ironman South Africa. There you go. Okay, (laughs) cool. And then obviously that race must have gone well because you then qualified for World Championships in Kona. So no real chance of a four-degree cold front there, which is which is good. No nasty surprises this time around. You finished yeah. fifth in, in your age group in 10 hours, 1 minute and 57 seconds. So how was that experience, I guess, once you did go to Ironman and then obviously, you know, having the whole experience with Kona, which I guess a lot of the, the guys and girls in the squad that you train with have been there before because they're focused on Ironman distance, but this is your first opportunity to go there as well. Yeah, exactly. So Kona was definitely, without any doubt, an incredible experience. So, yeah, the race per se, but everything, just experiencing it after you have heard it from so many other people around you. 
And it definitely was also the hardest race I did. Even so saying, I really like hot conditions, especially my, after my experience in St. George, um, that I definitely do not complain about the heat. It's, I definitely loved it. And I think these are the conditions where I really like racing in. Mm-hmm. But it adds on another level of really like difficulty you need really to prepare in advance. And as you said, with my coach, Sean Foster from Fluid Movements, who prepared me for that race as well, and many, many other athletes already. He has so much experience in that. So I was very well prepared, not only in regard to swim, bike, run, but also especially their nutrition and hydration. Mm. But you never know how it will play out on the day. So you really doing the race, especially Ironman, it's several hours there will always something happen so you need to make decisions in the moment on whatever happens so for example i literally never have to deal with cramps something like that Mm -hmm. but during that race it was for the very first time i had a cramp it was in 120k on the bike suddenly it was a really big one on my uh, left thigh it was luckily doing a slight downhill section on the bike. So I was able to stop pedaling and still keep rolling and stretching a bit and mm. shaking out my legs. So I got it really quickly under control. And at the end, it was the only cramp I had, but it's just like this warning during the race, mm. different. So then, yeah, for example, also what I usually never do is walking at eight stations. But again, on corner, on purposely, I walked at station to make sure I get the fluid in, I can cool down, I get the ice and everything. So, yeah, yeah and overall, I mean, I'm, I'm super happy with my race. Um, it was the first time I, I did Kona, as you said. It's a very different race. And, yeah, very happy with my first place there. Yeah, awesome. Okay, now the reason we wanted to speak to you, Jenny, is that not only have you done a lot in the triathlon world, but you juggle this with a very busy career at Monash University. And that's particularly relevant when we come to fueling double session days. And I'm guessing with the step up to Ironman, that probably, you know, just increases the training hours possibly even more for some of those sessions as well. So can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, your day job and how you manage to fit training around that because I imagine it's a, a bit of a juggle. Yeah, I'm as you said at the beginning, I'm here at Monash University where I actually lead my own research group at the Australian Regenerative Medicine Institute. So very briefly what um, I'm doing there is basically my research is really trying to develop to create a new knowledge how a new life is really created like how we are as a human being created because now as an adult we are we have all these different organs like we have a heart that pumps all the blood through the vessels we have a lung that allows us to breathe and all these different organs that allows us to do everything we do on a daily basis which we basically take for granted but if you really think back how everything starts it's actually for me the most fascinating process uh, ever on this world it all starts from a very tiny one single cell that is nothing else like a looks like a ball you can't even see by eye it doesn't have yet a brain nothing but it really it knows how to create us mm. so we really try to understand how this early cell that is really not yet defined into anything we call it always the all-rounder cell how that cell functions and also imagine if we could create such a cell in a dish here in our lab what resource that could be 
to restore, repair, or maybe even replace organs for patients after an accident or disease. So it's really critical knowledge we are still lacking. So that's really something we are working on. And as you might realize, I'm very passionate about that. So I really love doing that. It's always, I say, for me, my science, my job is not really like a job, like an office job where you go from nine to five and then you did your thing. It's really like a passion, like triathlon as well. And it balances out my life very nicely, I would say. I couldn't do the one thing without the other. Mm. But yes, it's it's a lot during the days. So saying all this, yeah, my days start quite early, I would say, latest at 5 a.m. I get up. It can be as early as 3.30 a.m. if I need to. Because the first thing in the morning, I do a morning session, which is always the more intense and longer one. So it can be up two to five hours are my morning session. So always there a wide variability, which I do usually with the squat. And then, yeah, after that, a big session, I, I go to work, do my work. And then in the evening, there's the other session, which I usually do here actually from work at the Monash campus, which is then the shorter one. It's typically a run or maybe gym session. And yeah, from there, then also being a triathlete, I always commute by bike. So after that, then I commute by bike once I've done all my training and my work. Very mm. busy. Very busy. Yeah, it makes us feel a bit slack there, Al. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I've done the 3.30 a.m. starts occasionally a long time ago. And um, yeah, I kind of probably prefer 5.36 but anyway, um, so can you remember, Jenny, remember back to when you first started training twice a day regularly and fitting that around work? Was that kind of like a bit of a daunting task to you? I actually did it pretty early while I was still at school as a swimmer where I did it for the first time. Mm -hmm. It was like for a year or so where I did it as a swimmer. I qualified like the dream I had in swimming. I finally qualified for the German championships. So that was really like where I wanted to increase my training. And even then while I was still at school, I did that. And back in Germany, it's more typical you train in the evenings. So the new session was then the one in the morning and mm -hmm. oh my God. It was horrible, if I can say that. I thought I, I can't swim. Swimming, at springing into the water at that time early in the morning, like nothing was working. So it was definitely a very daunting experience. But it definitely got better. And then, yeah, I mean, I did that there for a year or so, just specifically for one race there, basically. Really, where it became, I could even say like a lifestyle where I started and since then I never stopped was definitely once I had moved here to Australia and then starting racing the 70.3 distances so over 10 years ago. So since then, I basically, since over 10 years, yes, I do the um, two sessions per, per day, very, very regularly. And definitely, yeah, was also at the beginning again, I struggled more at the beginning with the morning sessions, but due to the rhythm I was used to, Nowadays, it's more like the evening session that is more difficult. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And were there any kind of beginner mistakes or things that went wrong early on in terms of food and nutrition when you did kind of, I guess, start doing those double session days? I probably did everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I did not 
think at all about nutrition um also mm-hmm. hydration and also sleep yeah and there was you were thinking about the training now i did probably every possible mistake you could do mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i had mm-hmm. no knowledge about it. i even didn't know at the moment that i should think about that mm. and how do you like what makes you think that you did do every like some things wrong was there you know where you're rocking up to the sessions where you just didn't have the energy to you know perform that session or just the first experience that like just having the feeling like the very first morning sessions I did that nothing was possible shows you I didn't get the proper sleep I didn't mm-hmm. have the nutrition the energy in me if I would have that mm-hmm. I would have been able to really do a proper swim session mm-hmm. um that's basically yeah definitely the signs you have so yeah it's it's a long learning curve to understand all that Mm, yeah so that comes to my next question how did you figure out how to um, overcome those challenges yeah I mean as soon as I got involved into that triathlon scene doing longer races at all overall it's more common topic people are talking about without even like specifically looking for it Mm -hmm. I was basically then integrated into this environment where people were talking about. And it starts basically more when you think about triathlon, really nutrition, doing the race. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. basically where it started for me, where I started thinking about nutrition, because then you, I mean, swimming is a one minute race. Yeah, you you don't take nutrition doing a one minute race. Mm-hmm. But if you do a almost five hour race or so, yes, uh, you need some nutrition. So basically there was the starting point. And when you start thinking about it, yes, you also then transfer obviously that thinking process to training and realize maybe there you also need to adapt or to optimize things. So I started really hearing about it and really read myself a lot about it and tried to educate myself reading a lot about still I mean back there it was with books now obviously online so it definitely made me aware of it but I did not figure it out at that moment it was really like now a process of many many years that allowed me basically to figure out how I work how my body works so basically what I read there many years ago was really a basic knowledge where I would say that was not really how it was really optimal for me. So there was a lot of learning until where I am now. And it's interesting you say that, Jenny, you know, being part of the squad, obviously, you know, you you have those conversations a lot. And and I guess you can also observe what other people are doing potentially, you know, before and after training and things and, and ask questions when you you know, you're fairly new to the sport and, and to that concept. Did you find, I guess, you know, training with a squad sort of helped you kind of fast track that journey a little bit, maybe compared to someone who's trying to, you know, do everything on their own? Yes, definitely it helped. Yeah. Just having the possibility to exchange ideas or methods others are doing, talking about it, but also there you get connected to people that can help. I mean, Alan, I got to know you due to the people at the squad who um, mm. gave me the advice. So yeah, it's it's really a network where you get integrated and it's not only the conversation, but also then the people you meet through, which are not only maybe like age group athletes, but really professionals that can help you. Mm. Yeah. And so I guess fast forward to today, 
What are the key considerations you have when planning your nutrition for double session training days? Yeah, I, I would say the most important one I had to understand, there is a very limited time window in the entire day where I can really take on the majority of my nutrition. And that's basically the period after my morning sessions, around maybe 8 a.m.-ish, until midday. So that's really the hours where I can take the Mass, vast majority of all the nutrition I need. And, and the other, the rest of the day, it's literally just smaller snacks or something because I need to train or obviously doing sleep, you can't take on something. So that was definitely really, yeah, very important to get that right. But also what you are eating, the purpose of what you're eating. So there can be obviously the nutrition you take on it's it's very different if you eat that because you want to recover to boost your recovery or if you want to fuel for the next session. So being aware of what a basic meal is really for what and then taking exactly this nutrition on, I think that's really the two major principles like timing and content of the nutrition between these sessions are critical. Mm, yep. And yeah, obviously for you, I'm, I'm imagining you have to go into the lab where you can't bring in your food. So yeah, how do you kind of manage that juggle Do you, in terms of, yeah, making sure you've got all that nutrition with you, etc.? Yeah, exactly. In the lab, we are not allowed to eat or drink. I mean, nowadays, as I'm in Krugleader, I can spend a bit more time in my office but there, obviously, it's uh, full of meetings. It's, yeah, all about preparation. I don't have the time really to cook or prepare a meal. So basically, for example, should I work in the lab and there's a five-minute incubation step or so where I can step out, it needs to be ready to go, right, my food. So that's definitely the key. And that's why, yeah, I prepare all my food. So all the food I eat during the day is pre-cooked at home over the weekend. And I bring in the food sometimes even already for me also logistic-wise, because as mentioned earlier, I commute by bike and sometimes I have limited transport capacity in my backpack. So Sometimes I already bring my food for the next two or three days into the lab that I just have everything I need here and do not rely on any external sources or so. Mm. Yep, yep. And so, yeah, on the weekend, it sounds like yeah, you do a bit of a big cook-up for the rest of your week. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah nice. And how, how how is fueling for the double session days different to other days of the week for you? Do you ever do a single session day or is it just <laughs> double, double, triple? <laughs> you won't believe it. Yes, I have one day in the week where I have only one session <laughs> on Fridays. Fridays is our recovery day where I only have uh, usually an easier swim in the morning and then that's it for the day to get yeah prepared for the weekend where we do yeah the longer sessions. Yeah, I mean, the difference, so basically the breakfast and lunch doesn't really differ much. Yeah, that's still the same. The main difference between a day where I have a double session and the day where I only have one session in the morning is really afternoon dinner. 
So there, when I have a double session, yes, I will have another snack in the afternoon, but really my dinner is very light and little, which maybe most people wouldn't expect and maybe also very different to other athletes. I can't eat a lot in the evening, mostly also Very often I have a run in the evening. Mm. That's really which is the most sensitive to my stomach, where even after a hard run, it's really hard to eat, not only before, but also after. And yeah, due to my full day, literally after the second session, it's basically almost straight to bed. Yeah. So, and I can't sleep with a full stomach. I want to have a good quality sleep. So that's why typically actually my dinner is very light and small. But that's then the difference on the Fridays where I only have one session. I can have a normal dinner, which is also then there in order to fool me up for the Saturday morning session, which is really the longest by far from the entire week. But the key thing also there for the Friday dinner, I try to eat it as early as possible. So which means dinner is 5 p.m. latest around 6 p.m. Again, mostly for that, that it's fully digested when I go to sleep. Mm. Yeah. 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 And I guess that can be sort of challenging as well, because we think about double days as being like that shortened window for recovery, as you mentioned before, being between the morning session and the evening session, and you've got sort of limited opportunity. But when you're stringing together multiple days like that in a row, you know, the, the, diff, the, the gap between the evening session and then the next morning again is, is similarly short. And most of that time, as you said, you're asleep. So that you know, becomes a little bit more challenging as well. And do you find that you have to kind of adjust, you know, which training sessions that you're doing at certain, like whether it's the morning or the evening across the week to kind of string that together in a way that you feel like you can actually get that nutrition in and and recover properly between sessions, whether it's morning to evening or even evening to the next morning? Yeah, so that's definitely in the evening and especially in the morning, I listen to my body, what I need. So the evenings, as I said, is usually an afternoon snack before the second run session and then a light dinner. That's usually more or less the same. Mm -hmm. But especially then in the morning before the next session, there it's really, as I said, I listen to my body what I think I need for that session. We typically have either a swim or longer bike ride in the mornings. And yeah, the swim, sometimes I even do on an empty stomach. But swim for me is the easiest mm. or have probably there's some typical like a little bit of oats, especially during winter. I prefer warm oats or in the summer, then Vitabix with cold milk, something like that. But I also get immediately some fluid in. So I definitely have always a glass of water in the morning, at least. If it's a longer session, like a bike, I definitely have a kind of breakfast, like the oats or the Vitabix. That's definitely, even if I think I don't need it, because that's really a bigger session. And But also not much more than like where I really have a large bowl of something, because there's also the component we should think about, especially on the bike, you can take on nutrition while you ride. So I have the nutrition in my bottle or other things I can eat while I'm riding and take on nutrition during that time, which is very critical for these sessions. Yep. And so at what point in the day do you kind of shift your focus to, right, I need to start preparing for the session? I mean, obviously it might depend on what that session is as well. You know, some sessions you probably don't really need to be that aggressively fueled for, whereas others, you know, if it's a really hard session or a long session in the afternoon, maybe you need to put a bit more effort into that. Correct. Absolutely correct. So 
latest lunchtime. Yeah. yeah. They're definitely, it's the complete switch from, as said before, breakfast is about recovery. Lunchtime is about fooling, about fooling for the second session. And very critical it is for me when there's a run in the evening, which we have quite often. I need to be fooled there very well. And also really, um, it has to be digested. Otherwise, I can't run. If there's any other session, otherwise I go quite often to the gym than in the evening, or should it be another bike or a swim? It's less critical for me. I mean, I can tolerate there any kind of food much better. And as I said, they're also like doing the bike, you can take on something during the bike. So but yeah, if it's such a critical session, yes, definitely. The lunch is about fueling for that session. And where I then have this source of carbohydrates for me is mostly from pumpkin, potatoes, corn, maybe something like quinoa is also still good, sometimes rice, but it's really like vegetable based, which is also really, especially if it's cooked, really better to digest. Sometimes a salad, but again, a salad is really hard to digest. So on run days, it's not necessarily a salad, but um, then rather the vegetables. And yeah, that's basically really the important content for my lunch to fuel for the second session. And also really the timing again, I really need to be or pay attention that it's not too late. Like at, usually I anyway get hungry at 12 p.m. So it's usually not a problem, even though I had already big breakfast. But latest at one, I need to have my lunch that I have several hours to digest. Yeah, yep. And then it sounds like in terms of your eating lunchtime, so then your next session is, if you're eating at 12, is your next session more around, I'm not sure, four or something like that. So you've got a number of hours for that to kind of digest and settle before you've got your next session. Yes, yes. Yeah. I yeah. definitely need, yeah, three, four hours. So usually I try to get my second session done around five-ish if I can get out here. But really, yeah, depending on where it varies a lot, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like with your, it depends on what your session is. So when you have your run you're, you know, more mindful of what you're eating for lunch. Whereas if you've got a ride or a swim, your risk of experiencing gut issues is a lot lower. Yes, absolutely. It's really all about the run for me. When I get some problems, it's during the run. Due to the awareness of what nutrition I need, I definitely improved a lot to be able to avoid now gut issues during the run session because nothing is more annoying. You really want to do a great run session and then you're struggling it just because your stomach hurts. Then I'm just very mad with myself. (laughs) These days, I mean, yes, it happens much less. So I can definitely really now um, regulate that, but it still happens occasionally, but I then know what went wrong. So I know, okay, I just didn't manage to get my lunch early enough because I was in meetings. I had lunch only at three or something like that. Or if it's also later in the week, maybe I run out of food and I had to buy somewhere something else I'm not used to eat. Then I, I usually immediately know what was the reason and don't need to wander around what, what it was and so on. So and I can avoid it then the next time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so leading into the afternoon session, you know, you've obviously had your lunch usually at 12 or so. Are you having like another top-up snack before that afternoon session? 
Yes, I usually have then a snack in the afternoon, usually around maybe two hours before then the second session around that. And there, yeah, I mean, snack-wise, I mean, I have some maybe of the classicers uh, people know, like some a banana or any kind of fruits or the corn thins or maybe some nuts, but they're actually not necessarily my favorite snacks, to be honest. I think also there I might use a few things people might not use so commonly. I mean, I'm definitely my my most favorite treat is cashew butter. So not the nuts, but cashew butter. So that's really, and you can combine it again with banana or any corn thins. I also really like to have baby food. I have a lot of baby food sachets or so. They are just perfect. And also, I really like to prepare myself to like bake kind of cakes, like pumpkin cake or so, which is really not sweet. I mean, you um, basically I use pumpkin and combine it with some nut meal, and then you can add some cinnamon, nutmeg, maybe a bit of yogurt and protein powder, if you like to have then some protein in there, which is really good and easy to digest. And that's really literally also my favorite um, snack. I know exactly what's in there. I can control it. And my favorite one is pumpkin, but you can do equally like a banana or carrot cake with the same. So yeah, things like that are usually my snacks. All right. Well, just to finish off now, Jenny, we're going to do a quick little bonus round, find out a little bit more about you. Our first question, and I can't actually remember who this was, Steph, but I remember one of our previous guests on the podcast mentioned, you know, they're talking about what race they'd really love to do one day. And they mentioned Challenge Roth as really their bucket list race. It's, you know, massive race, huge crowds, great atmosphere, all that kind of thing. Being from Germany yourself, have you done Challenge Roth? And, And if not, is it on the bucket list for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's a very iconic race now, I think. No, I haven't done it yet. Also, having switched to the long distance just this year, mm. you're a bit limited with the races you can do. Definitely, it's, it's a race I would like to do. And I think when you do the long distance races, a race you should do next to Kona. Yeah, it's, it's a very, yeah. A great race, just the atmosphere around, not only doing the race. I mean, the Solar Berg, everyone knows about that, but I think just the atmosphere before and after the race, and especially how the entire region, their residents, and obviously organizers, how enthusiastic they are all about it. It's, it will be a very unique experience. If I ever get the chance, I, I definitely won't say no, that's for sure. When this will be, I, I, I don't know yet. And I, I would do it anyway, even if such an iconic race wouldn't be in Germany, that's not necessarily the main motivator. It's definitely a race, yeah, yeah, I would like to. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, and on the topics of things that you haven't done yet, is there a sport that you've always wanted to try but you've never had the chance? Yeah, but, I mean, triathlon are already kind of three sports in one, mm. right? So it's it's already a lot I'm doing. But, yes, there is. There is actually a sport I would really like to do and maybe to no surprise also a very versatile sport, which probably is another reason why I'm not really able to squeeze anything of it in. It's actually I would like to try CrossFit. Mm-hmm. I really like to um, follow that a bit. I, I, I think I, I should do very well in the aerobic pieces like the endurance running and so on. I think maybe late weightlifting, I should be still okay-ish, let's say like this. But I guess I would be completely suck at the gymnastics. <laughs> but it would be definitely something, yeah, really great to just try and see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Now, you may have already mentioned this, but what's your sort of favorite 
post-training snack or drink? I think I'm almost, if someone knows me or so, I'm almost famous for it. <laughs> People like to joke about it. Milk. It's all about milk. I can't drink enough milk. It's definitely the first drink after big or after every session and especially a big long session, literally the last hour or so during a long session. I'm just thinking about my milk. The moment I can be there having my milk and enjoying that, that's just the treat I really enjoy. Yeah. 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 Flavored or plain? Both. I mean, definitely just plain co-milk, but otherwise also chocolate milk yeah. is yeah something so good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And we're coming to towards the end of 2023 now. What's been your favorite sporting moment this year, apart from your own? Well, that's a good question. I actually would say not picking one special or one specific event, if if I'm allowed to, I would overall say what I really enjoyed seeing throughout this year is really the respect or increased attention, that's the word, attention to women in sport overall. Mm It's really, I mean, you can definitely pick some examples like the Soccer World Cup from the women. And also now that it's back again to the France Femme, which had been already many, many years ago. I think it restarted last year, now back again. So seeing all this, that there is a trend that women are, I mean, we are far away from gender equity in sports. No question with possibilities price money and also just the media attention we get but i think it starts to change and i really like to see that and i hope it's just getting more and more and it can be very simple steps i mean just like in triathlon always the men and women are usually racing together Mm -hmm. and when you see then reports it's always still the same i mean it's just a simple thing but it's always first the men are get reported first in the article or so, and the women second. Why not changing it around or things like that? But yeah, I hope just that continues to grow. That yeah, there's a boost of women in sport. Mm. And on that topic, and obviously this is really relevant because you were part of that this year, splitting the men's and women's world championship for Ironman. What was your thoughts on that? I personally really enjoyed it in Kona, having only women there. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a very different vibe or atmosphere, which, again, I really enjoyed. Apart from that, it was also doing the race very different. If you race in only a female field, nothing against men or so, it's much less aggressive. Mm-hmm. We had our space and no one was trying to draft behind each other. And it was really different, which was enjoyable, but also all around. But also it was really just focused on the women on these days, which was really good for just showcasing our sport. Nonetheless, that there is such a split, like really like Europe versus US over a month period. I think it should be definitely, I mean, definitely the way how it was, I think last year that there was at the same location, but one day for the men and the other day for the women, where we are all still all together, which is kind of also symbolizing a tribe on sport, what makes it so special. I think that was, in my opinion, the best solution. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And are are you thinking that Nice will be a course that suits you when it goes there next year? Yeah, definitely thinking about it. I mean, I definitely like the bike course. I like hilly bike courses. I'm I'm usually a strong climber, uh, whereas my strength. So, yeah, I, I think it would be definitely a course that would suit me and is quite attractive to maybe give it a go. Yeah, yeah. 
and I think the run course is still pretty flat from memory, even though the bike course yes. is hilly. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right. And then final question. Do you live by any particular piece of advice or motto? There are actually quite a few, but one that really stands out for me. And if I need just something like a boost or motivator, I yeah, read or actually you can watch it. People might know it. It's actually from Michael Faltz from the Under Amour video. It says, it's what you do in the dark that puts you into the light. Mm-hmm. And that's really how I really see my life. And if you haven't watched that very short movie, I just really can encourage everyone to do when I need just as I said a boost I watched that movie and I'm fully in my world again but it's really just yes it's, it matches with me like always when I do like not on especially the early morning sessions yeah I'm out there at when other people are sleeping that's when I get the work done that's when I get fit and everything and the same in the evening I run my laps at the stadium like interval runs being in a half a hurt box while others enjoying their dinner. And that's even for me an inner motivation. Like I'm doing now the work that helps me to get better, better than others, faster than others in order to succeed at races. So yeah, that's definitely, I think the motto um, that, yeah, fits best with me. Yeah. And I was going to say very literally here in winter when it is pitch pitch black in the morning when you're training and probably the sun's gone down when you're training again at night. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jenny. It's been great to have a chat to you, find out, I guess, about some of the practical challenges around double session days and how you manage that. I think, you know, the key things around sort of being organized and prepared, you know, ahead of time, you know, knowing what's what's to come and, and having purpose around what you're doing and when you're doing it and why you're doing it from a nutrition point of view. I mean, that's good advice for anyone, but I think it's just even more important in these sort of double session days. So thank you so much for your time and yeah, good luck for whatever comes next in terms of racing. Yes. Thank you so much. It was really a great place. I enjoyed uh, talking with you and if I could have just helped one athlete or one person out there to just maybe get new ideas or something, a different uh, perspective, I would be super happy. Yes. Thank you so much for this. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. That was great. Thank you very much, Jenny, for sharing some of those tips. I'll hand it over to Al to summarise those last two episodes. Mm. Yeah, so obviously our question was how do I feel double session days? And as we talked about now with Jenny, it's not only, you know, from the morning session to the afternoon session, it's often then from the afternoon session to the next morning session as well. That can be a challenge sometimes. So obviously there's kind of a couple of different aspects to this. One is the recovery component, and Jenny talked quite a bit about her emphasis on regular serves and decent serves of protein straight away after training and then sort of the lunchtime as well, and then and then she has that with, with dinner also. So, you know, getting that recovery in from those sessions and then getting that adaptation or that adaptive process following training is really important, but then it's also how do you back up and make sure you're well-fueled for the next session. Now, as Jenny mentioned, depending on what that session is in the afternoon or the second session of the day, depends, I guess, you know, how purposefully you need to fuel for that session. And we've obviously talked about that in the past and, you know, listeners can go all the way back to episode 2A of what should I eat and drink before my training session to get a sense of that. But yeah, certainly, you know, then thinking or switching that focus from recovery into fueling for the next session needs to happen fairly quickly with double session days because it's coming up so quickly. And so, you know, some of those recovery practices might need to be 
a bit more deliberate than they would otherwise have been. Some of the other considerations we did talk about was the risk of gut issues, particularly in that afternoon session when you've had a day of, of eating things and you're not coming off, you know, being asleep overnight. And so that can sometimes add a little bit more challenge, but it's usually fairly manageable by adjusting either the, the types of food or, or particularly the timing of, of meals around that. Now, obviously, Jenny's situation is one that a lot of people find themselves in is like the practical aspects of this is how do you juggle this alongside work? And trying to get the food in when, you you know, if you're in a job where you can't just have snacks at will whenever you want, that can certainly become a challenge. And I think the key thing from what Jenny described is being organized, planning for all of these things, knowing that this is going to happen and being prepared for it, you know, doing a big cook up on the weekend so all your meals are available. Because when you get home from that second session and you're absolutely exhausted, from a long day of work and two training sessions and then you just don't feel like cooking having something that's just ready to go you can put it in the microwave and and away you go she talked about you know making the most of those little breaks that you do have in work because there may be times where you don't get much break but you might get those little five minute bits in your day and if you know they're coming and having the food there ready to go straight away, it doesn't require a lot of preparation. It doesn't require a lot of heating up or anything like that, that you can then just grab it, go straight away and, and you're done. So I think, you know, planning, 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 being organized is, I guess, the key for double session days, both in terms of how do I recover from each session, but then also how do I prepare for the next one? Yeah, well said. And yeah, she, you know, really understands the purpose of her her sessions as well and does need to be really prepared and planned and practical, you know, doing those commutes as well and yeah, mm-hmm. working out how the food hygiene's gonna go, et cetera, et cetera. So I think she, yeah, she provided some some great tips there. So let's get into our our next episode. We're up to episode 69. Who have we got lined up? Yeah. So each year when we get to the anniversary of the podcast starting, Steph, we have a special episode. It's our first birthday episode. We had Andy Jones who talked about the Nike Breaking 2 project and the nutrition aspects around that. And then at the end of our second year, we had ultra running coach Jason Coop who literally wrote the textbook around training for ultra runners, huge amount of experience coaching, you know, some of the most elite athletes in that sport as well. So for our third year, we decided to look a bit more at cycling outside the the running sphere. And we're actually going to chat to chef and uh, I believe now nutritionist as well, Nikki Strobel, who is from Denmark. Now, Nikki, some of you may know if you're Australian and you follow the Australian pro cycling team, Green Edge. Obviously, they've gone through different names over the years, but Nikki was the chef for them when they first started and worked for them for, for several years. Uh, he's then gone on to work with UNOX, which is a Norwegian team as well. Uh, I think he's actually just finished up with them at the end of this year. But he's huge amount of experience working with elite riders at, at the biggest races in the world, the Tour de France, the Giro d'Italia, these kind of events, taking, I guess, the nutrition guidelines of, you know, what theoretically people should be eating, the sort of things that we talked about, and then actually turning that into meals to feed an entire team for, you know, three weeks at a time in, in some of those grand tours for cycling. So uh, amazing experience. I'm sure he's got a million stories to tell around the nutrition and food aspects of, of cycling and Maybe we'll find out what happened with that bus incident at the Tour de France where it got stuck under the finish banner. Um, but, yeah, it'll be great to, to chat to Nikki. So 
we're just teeing up the exact date we're going to record that. So theoretically, it should be out two weeks from now, but if it ends up being delayed by a little bit around his availability, um, so be it. That's that's not the end of the world. And that'll be our first episode of Fueling Endurance. Woohoo! Yeah, and it will be great to get some tips from him uh, how to make you know food. I guess a little bit interesting when you're churning through you know so much food um he's gonna have to have some good ideas on how to keep making it nice and presentable to to the athletes that he works with yeah absolutely and so just a reminder that if you do have a question that you would like answered on the podcast you can contact us at the long munch or is it going to be at Fueling Endurance? I think by the time this is out, it'll probably be at Fueling Endurance. Yeah. yeah. So at Fueling Endurance on Instagram, Facebook or X. And thank you to those people who have left ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We really do appreciate it. If you do listen on one of these platforms and have a few seconds to, to spare, we'd love it if you could leave a quick rating or review. Those that leave a review on Apple Podcasts will go into a draw to win a copy of our ebook, and you know that it is coming uh, soon now. And remember also there's now 67 previous questions we've already answered, so if you're new to the podcast, welcome. You might like to check out the back catalogue to see if there's something there that will be helpful to you. Most podcast apps only show you the last few episodes, but if you click back, you'll find the rest of them going back to November 2020. And if you'd like to be notified every time a new episode is available, you can hit subscribe on the podcast app that you're listening to this on. If you want to know when and how to get your hands on the ebook when it launches in owning a few days now, you can sign up for our upcoming email newsletter at fuelingendurance.com. And if your friends are asking about a particular nutrition issue for the training or racing and you've heard it on the podcast, you might like to let them know and then that's probably going to go into the next uh, ebook. Otherwise, as always, Al, we will love and leave you and see you in a couple of weeks. Will do. See you then.